Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. I hope that wasn't too harsh for you, Jacob. Nah, it's perfect. It's beautiful, <laughs> lovely, buttery voice of Andrew Maxwell. Today we have on... A man who 
defines the word redemption. <laughs> a, man, a, a man, a man of the people, Mister Michael Pike. Michael, how What's you up, doing, guys? man? I'm good. I'm good. Living the dream still. I heard that Michael was once again joining us from work. Um, not the COVID unit this time, though. Not the COVID unit this time, though. Right? Yep. Finally getting a break after like nine months. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk about. If you haven't seen it already, if you're not following us on social media or anything like that, uh, Michael got him a nice one. Yep. About time. Yeah, about time, dude. About time. <laughs> Listen, giving giving you hard enough time so far this year with this ton of you know just crazy stuff happening and uh you know finally able to make it happen even though it's kind of a crazy story though which we'll probably get into um but yeah dude again congratulations on that buck but uh this episode though is not specifically about that deer but it kind of is uh on just a interesting topic of kind of finesse tactics which is something that uh, Mike, you know, you and Andrew kind of kept that away from me over the last week or so. <laughs> at, as I've heard from Andrew, how you've changed some things that's kind of put more deer kind of in your lap. And I think we're going to kind of dive into that and kind of share that, what you've kind of learned and kind of experienced with the listeners to maybe go out there and use some of these finesse tactics, um, yeah, you know, kind of in their regiment, especially when hunting sounds like hunting off the ground. Yeah. Yep. How do we want to do that? Do we want to jump into the deer first? And then Mike, you tell us. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's whatever. No, uh, no. Okay. All right. We're backing it up, Mike. All right. <laughs> so let, let's go back a couple weeks from uh, a couple weeks from like this time frame. Um, you know, we had been talking about like calling and everything. What kind of changed with you with kind of what you had been doing previously to how you started changing to try to focus more on kind of finesse calling and, and more subtle calling? All right. So before, you know, a couple of years ago, I started doing some type of finesse tactic, which was <clears throat> the crunch in the, the pine bark, which y'all know all about. Um, I was able to, to kill a couple of deer doing that. Uh, and all it was, was, um, just, I'd be, you know, climbed up a pine tree and it all started like when I was a little bit younger, you know, most people have had this scenario happen where they've been climbing a tree and whether it be sawing limbs or whether it be, you know, like a pine tree and they're climbing, and all of that noise, just like that crunching around noise, you know, ends up bringing a deer in, like, basically right to your tree. And you're just like, holy cow, you know, like, all I was doing is climbing a tree and this, you know, buck came in. And so I started implementing that type of uh, tactic. I would be already set up and I would just start crunching the pine bark and making that noise. And it never failed. Like, you know, I'd have deer come in and check it out and end up killing uh killing a couple of deer like that well i branched away from doing that and did more calling tactics you know like rattling and grunting and had a a decent amount of success doing that but i felt like especially in black warrior um some of those tactics were i don't know they just didn't work um the deer seemed a little bit smarter uh especially in the evenings anybody who's ever hunted black warrior knows like the mornings can be special like a lot of people will shoot it, it sound like a war zone you know on a gun hunt uh in some areas and then the the evenings are always just dead and you're just like sitting there scratching your head like i know these deer are in here but they're smarter than we give them credit for and they're not coming out to these you know grunting sequence or rattling sequence all the time and i got to thinking about it and to me, it, it just 
made more sense to do like a finesse tactic. Um, you know, you go in, you you have a really good idea of where these deer are bedded at because most of the most of the area up there is like open hardwoods. And then you have these thickets on these ridge points, and you know that that's where the deer are bedding at. And you've got to entice them enough to get them to come out of that bedding area. Um, and so I, I started implementing some tactics, and all it was was, you know, if you think about it, if you do a grunt by itself from up in a tree or you do a rattling sequence up in a tree, you know, the chances of a deer coming in, you know, they might be okay, uh, but it, it's not really realistic, you know, if you think about it. Like, these deer are in tune with everything that's going on in the woods, and most of the time they're hearing you walk in. They know that you're there. And so the finesse tactics works because you're just you're in, you're enticing them with basically by making them think that there's other deer that are either a already out there feeding or they're like they're coming off their bed in the evening or you know around those natural uh, major feed times which is usually like the overhead underfoot as long as you know you're having that you know stagnant kind of weather pattern um, from what I've seen so. So I started doing that. I started uh, making it sound like a deer was getting up off its bed and coming out into the hardwood draws and stuff like that next to these bedding areas. And all I do is take two sticks and I would mimic, you know, like a deer walking through the woods. Um, and I would change up the pace, you know, like if you ever heard like some does come through and they're feeding around, you'll have a couple of does and you're sitting there and you hear them just and then all of a sudden you hear them pick up pace and like there's one doe that's, you know, gotten a little too far behind because it was feeding or something. And you hear this. And you just hear that cadence, that that sound. And then you'll hear them feeding around, you know, trying to find some acorns or something like that. And they're ruffling the leaves a little bit. And it's it's all it's all has to do with that cadence, in my opinion, because. I mean, you have squirrels, they have a certain cadence, um, you know, them running across. You can always pick them out. I know Andrew probably knows more than, you know, a lot of people because he squirrel hunts and stuff like that. But uh, there's, a, there's a different sound in the woods to all these different animals. And the more realistic you can make it sound like, you know, there's some other deer that are feeding um, in that area, I think the more likely you are to entice something to come out just a little bit early. So... That's uh that's kind of what I've been doing here lately, and it's uh it's really worked a lot. Yeah, and again, it's it's interesting kind of hearing you talk about this because uh you know probably someone listening is like oh you know that makes a lot of sense about how to you know kind of imitate some of these sounds and uh you know there's a couple of things that I want to kind of dive into that you just kind of talked about uh, and kind of just get better explanations for people to kind of see how they're doing it. Andrew, don't be spinning around in that chair like that, making this, all this, this noise. This chair is incredibly squeaky. It's I'm terrible. sorry if that's coming through. <clears throat> no, but um. You know, you, you were talking about a couple of things, and then we're going to kind of dive a little bit more into kind of like how you've kind of changed what you've been doing over the last couple of years to kind of get back to this kind of style of uh, calling. Um, but you were talking about, first off, earlier on about crunching bark. What do you mean by crunching bark? And it, it kind of explain it to people, because I think a lot of people, every year I always see stories and see people making posts, especially on Facebook, about, <coughs> hey, I was climbing my, I was using my climbing tree stand today, I was climbing up a pine tree, and I was 10 feet off the ground, still climbing up, and I had a buck run right into me. Um, you know, right before, you know, daylight or even in the afternoon. And, you know, I didn't have my bow with me, and it was crazy. And they don't know really what happened. You know, 
first off, when did you figure out again uh, kind of how you started applying the kind of the crunching the bark? You're talking about finding that out when you were younger, but how how do you go about doing that and making that sound? And what is it, in your opinion, what is it kind of representing or what is it kind of sounding like to a deer that makes him enticed to come in? Dude, I, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I have no clue what the actual – I guess, mechanism or, or what's going off in that deer's head. It could be a number of things. It could be, you know, a deer is uh, rubbing his antlers, you know, on a pine or something like that. Um, it could be, you know, they, they think that it's a deer that's, you know, walking through the through the woods or whether or not, you know, something's eaten. Um, I really don't know as far as when I when I did the, the crunch in the, the pine bark. Uh, but it all started because I was wondering how I could make that sound from up in a tree because normally, you know, I would have been on the ground making that kind of noise. And so I just happened to be up in a pine tree one day and there was a dead limb and it was probably a couple of inches thick. And uh, I broke it off and anybody who knows like a dead pine limb, a lot of times uh, the bark will kind of separate from the actual limb that it's on. And uh, so I just pulled off a sleeve of it. <clears throat> and I started crunching it. It was dead quiet. It was middle of the day. And uh, I started just crunching it, just like crunching it in my hands. And there was a, then I got to where I'd, I'd crunched all of that up. This was like a two minute sequence. I crunched all of that up and I took a big, thick piece off of the tree itself and uh, then just started raking the bark across the, uh, the tree itself and was kind of making that same kind of noise. And it wasn't – I was sitting there video, and it's, it's on my YouTube channel. I'm, I, I think it is at least. It used to be on uh, on mine and Parker's um, little YouTube channel that, that he had with uh, Southern Ground. But um, anyways, the deer comes in. I'm just like sitting there filming, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of looking at the camera like I know this looks goofy as hell, but – I'm sitting there and right in the middle of the video, I'm, I like turn around and I look and there's the buck like 30 or 40 yards from me and he's coming down through there and he's doing like the same thing with this tree. Like he's sitting there raking the, raking the tree limb and, and, and going through the brush and, uh, end up shooting that buck. But that was the whole way it started was, you know, how can I make this noise, uh, up in the tree, you know, that I would normally be making on the ground. And, uh, and, you know, after thinking about it, after it happened, I'm like, you know, this, it makes perfect sense because, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been climbing up a tree or, you know, been clearing out some kind of branches and, you know, have a, a buck walk up. So I, you know, started doing those sounds a little bit more and a little bit more. And, man, they they really do work. Um, so that's kind of how that started uh, a few years ago. Yeah, you told me about that last year, and I tried it in Georgia one time. Uh, and, I mean, the first time I tried it, it worked. So that was kind of cool. Well, I had a little buck come in. <clears throat> yep. Um, so so this year, the, the things I've been paying attention to, which you guys know, is uh, there are certain times when all these deer get up to move. And if you're out in the woods and you're hunting, most people can figure out when those times are, even if you don't know the major feed times. You know, if you start hearing a bunch of birds cut up or squirrels start barking, or if you're on a gun hunt, or if you're hunting around private land and there's gun hunts, 
whenever you start hearing all of those gunshots going off, that's when your feed time is your your major feed time or your major move time when all of those deer are either moving back to bed or they're up to feed. That is an excellent time to to start using these tactics. Um, and then middle of the day, you know, like when the deer are already in their bed, if you can sneak in there um, and this is where your tactic, uh, Andrew, comes into play. When you need to get in close, like to those bedding areas, you know, like middle of the day or something like that, mm-hmm. when you know that they're already in their bed and they're bedded up and, you know, it's kind of quiet and they're sitting there listening, these deer, nine times out of ten, they're in there and they know that we're walking through. It's just whether or not, you know, whether or not they, they bust out of there or whether, whether or not they just hold tight until they know for a fact that, you know, you're gone. And so your little thing with the the turkey scratching and stuff like that, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I was talking to somebody about that just the other day and about how I've noticed that when I do that and I'm, I'm scratching and I'm yelping, a lot of times I don't even scratch, I just yelp. Um, I'll just yelp every like 10 or 15 yards a couple times. And it's not like I'm doing some like huge yelp sequence. You know, I might give them like three or four like short little yelps. And then, you know, keep walking. I'll sta- I'll stop and stand there for a minute. Just sound like a turkey walking through the woods. Like, you know, a turkey just doesn't walk straight to where it's going. It'll walk, and then it'll stop, and then it'll walk a little more, then stop. And you just kind of try to sound like actual critter going through the woods. Well, I've noticed when I do that, and I and I bump deer, um, like, via sight. Like, I, I come around a corner, and there's one right there. I'm always, like, right on top of them. I mean, I'm, I get so much closer to deer when I'm doing that, um, which I don't necessarily think. You know, I used to ask people on this show a lot <clears throat> earlier in the show. Uh, I'm like, what do you, like, a, like what seems like a real basic question, like, what do you do when it's, like, real quiet and everything's loud? Like, how do you get in clean? And someone at some point told me about that, and I started trying it, and it worked really well. Um, and I... I mean, I, th- I think that um, as long as you don't make, like, a quote-unquote person sound, like any kind of metallic sound or, or you, you're, like, I don't know, like briars ripping on your clothes yeah. or something, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that you can get away with a decent amount, but throwing in that turkey yelp just adds, like, a whole different level to it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really more realistic. realistic. Yeah. I mean, it's just more realistic all the way around. Um, <clears throat> another thing that I think that would play into what we're talking about right now is when you do bust a deer, um, and a deer blows, uh, what I found to be helpful in those scenarios is, is to first mimic whatever they're doing. So if they're blow, if they blow once, I blow once right back at them. Mm-hmm. And then if, if they blow like two more times, I blow back two more times at them and just, just hold your ground and don't get, you know, don't like take off running and try to see what it was. A lot of times they'll calm down enough to where they will loop in and try to get downwind of you and try to see, you know, if they can either pick up your scent or make a, you know, a visual on you. Um, as long as it's, as long as you didn't spook it, like with your scent, like with your wind, if the wind was blowing to them, a lot of times they'll calm down and then, you know, they'll mill around and, and try to figure out what you are versus, you know, just taking off. Um, another thing, if that happens and if it's around the rut, uh, you know, those will blow whenever a buck comes in sometimes. Um, and I've noticed that, uh, especially up there in, in Black Warrior, 
if I pull out my grunt call and I do a couple of tending grunts, um, I've had deer come in to that to check and see what's going on because I think a deer just got, uh, you know, a doe just got harassed maybe by a buck or something like that. Um, and that's, that's actually how I ended up killing my deer, uh, in early season up there with my bow is I, I ended up bumping, um, two does off their bed and they ended up blowing and I ended up, uh, laying out some grunts right after it. And then right at dark, that deer came right over there to where, uh, those grunts were and where the does blew. So. You know, the whole aspect of kind of this different outlook on, you know, using vocalizations, but also um, non-vocalization kind of communication noises that you know, animals make in the woods is something that can kind of put you closer to game, but also help you be more undetected. Now, one thing, Mike, that I know you've talked about a lot is kind of blowing back at deer, um, which is something, you know, you hear some people talk about it. Also, you, you hear a lot of people not talk about that, um, about if, you know, if, if doe blows at you or a buck blows at you to blow back at them. And it's kind of amazing when you see, especially if they don't smell you, but they like get like some kind of little visual or they hear something, um, how they'll swing back in. And, and depending on the kind of cover you have, a lot of times you might have a shot opportunity, um, whether you're on the ground or up in a tree. I've uh, killed some does like that before. Yeah. Um, but, Mike, I mean, kind of, you know, for people that maybe haven't heard that before, kind of what's your thought process when it comes to blowing back at a deer and, uh, you know, possibly repositioning for a shot opportunity if they do try to swing back around on you? Yeah, used to. I used to think my hunt was over when I used to hear, you know, a deer blow. Um but I don't, I don't think that anymore because I've, I've used, I've blown back at them enough now to where, especially does, you know, you, you may not see it as much with bucks, but if you can calm the does down uh, enough to, to stay in that area and not, you know, go off blowing and laying down, you know, scent everywhere from their, uh, from their, I guess their gland in their feet, then I think you're better off um, by doing that. By doing that blowing back at him um just like andrew said i mean he's he's had multiple opportunities at does you know doing that um you won't always get a shot at it but if you can calm them down enough to where they're not tearing through the main bedding area and you know letting all of the other deer know that you know they're basically scared out of their mind and they're letting everybody and their mama know about it um i mean it's it's normal for a, a deer to to you know, end up getting scared by something and end up blowing. So I don't think you're going to necessarily blow out every deer in the area if if you hear if you know if the other deer hears another uh, blowing. So if you can calm them down, like I said, they're not tearing through like a main bedding area, letting everybody know like, hey, you know, be on your toes, you know, being extra cautious and stuff like that. I think it's uh it it's pretty good as far as the rest of your hunt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, now I want to kind of get us back towards the topic of kind of this, um, you know, subtle, more, um, Oh God, what, what's the term we're using again? Finesse. Uh, finesse. finesse. finesse well, kind of. Hey, one more thing about blowing Michael in Georgia, me and you saw this, I think on that ridge that we hunted where you saw the two really big bucks. Uh, like I hunted up there several times where there'd be two different groups of deer within like 150, 200 yards of each other. I mean, both within eyesight of me, and one of them would, like, wind me and start blowing, and the other ones wouldn't even check up. I mean, they just did not care at all. Right, right. 
So, I mean, that's one thing, you know, like if a deer blows at you, I'm not, I, kind of like you were talking about in Wyoming, like sometimes when a deer, I hear a deer blow, I'm like, oh, sweet, they're in here. Like now I know that they're in here. Like I, I don't get like super upset about it. Like you're talking in Wyoming, the deer out there don't really blow. And yeah, you're like, hate, it's kind of depressing. Yeah, I hate them. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't know how close or how far away I was. Yeah, I'm they like, just, just, they wouldn't on. make a noise. Just get like a fussy doe. Just let me know they exist. Oh, dude, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. so finesse tactics, right? Well, yeah, so I want to get back over to this. Uh, and I want to hit on one more thing before we kind of jump into kind of Mike what you've kind of changed in the last couple of weeks or so. Cause it seems like from what Andrew had told me, you've changed something the last two weeks that I'm not aware of because y'all leave me out in the cold on some of this stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, you were talking about earlier on about using sticks kind of sound like deer uh, walking. Of course you're doing that while you're on the ground. Is that correct? Right. Yep. And again, you're just getting two big sticks in your hand and just kind of making the sound of, uh, or, or at least attempting to make the sound of a deer kind of easing through the woods, trotting through the woods, just kind of make that kind of little bit of ruckus that sounds like some does kind of easing through, correct? Right. Yep. And that, and that's all that all that you're doing. Like, at, at one point, you, you specifically told me like last week or something, it was right before you killed this buck um you i asked you i'm like you're gonna get in there and do some rattling or something you're like no i'm gonna be more subtle with it so are you going in there with like a purpose uh where you're not gonna make any sounds except these like real specific you know subtle noises like you're not gonna be throwing out like any grunts or rattling or anything like that yeah so it really just depends i I think mostly on the timing of everything um like at at Black Warrior, what I was doing, I mean, I was I was taking sticks and I was, you know, raking across pine trees. You know, I was, you know, making fake scrapes. You know, I was doing all of this stuff because, you know, the the rut was, you know, pretty close up there. And then it ended up being the rut. Um, and, you know, those deer were more on their feet, you know, at those normal times, like early in the morning. Um and so during those times, I was, you know, I wasn't as, I guess, cautious about, you know, the sounds I was making. Um, but back down to, you know, our other WMA that y'all would rather have unnamed. Um, <laughs> uh, the other the other day, you know, basically your you, the way the moon phase was, you had your feed times like at all of the wrong times for when you typically go and hunt. And so what I was trying to do there is just just try to entice something to come out of a thicket that I figured was in a thicket. Um, and so I, I just wanted to use more of a finesse tactic because these deer are not like raging right now. These deer are not, you know, like all gung-ho, like, you know, you're, you're almost there, but you're not quite there yet. So uh, I think the finesse tactic would work more than, you know, being really aggressive right now so all of these deer right now want to know is hey is this doe up on her feet you know what is she doing maybe i need to go and check out you know those deer are you know social and and they're they're curious too um and if you were to go in there and it's dead calm which it was the other day it was dead calm that afternoon like the wind had died down um but it was right at that last hour. Uh, well, do y'all want to go through that right now? Like how that how that whole thing played out, or do you want to touch well, on that in a little bit? Well, I'll, I'll 
I want to get into your hunt, but I have a question about the beginning of your hunt that's going to totally derail where you're going with this. So finish your thought. I've got, I've got a question too before we get into the hunt. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so so basically, I'll just skip over going into that hunt, and I'll just kind of finish my thought process on it, which was you know using more subtle tactics whenever the deer aren't necessarily as aggressive and aren't really looking for those sounds so like if it's if it's a really really quiet evening uh you know your finesse tactic is going to work a lot more than you know if you just if you just start like a fight between two deer rattling out of nowhere and they didn't hear any deer come in and you know that kind of thing um that to me i mean that that kind of thing is not going to work um you know it's it's kind of like if you're if you're sitting at home, all right, and it it's dead quiet, all right. If you just all of a sudden heard somebody banging pots and pans in your kitchen, you'd oh be hell like, no! What's yep, the, yep, you'd yep. Be like, What's nope, the crap? Nope, dude. You'd be like, yeah, locking and loaded, bro. Locking and loaded. Oh man. But oh, man. If, <laughs> if 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 like around my house, let's say it's like you know three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, if you say like you heard the garage door open up you know, like the garage door, like, and you then you hear a car pull in and, you know, it's at that natural time, like when your wife comes in with the kids or something like that from school and then you hear everybody coming up the stairs, you know, like all of that makes sense. But if you was just to hear pots and pans start banging around at like three <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon, like out of nowhere, you'd be like, what the crap is here? Dude. Like, is there a ghost in the house? You know, like what? <laughs> I, I'm so confused right now and you'd be kind of on edge. And I think that's kind of the same thing that these deer are thinking. If you just hear grunt calls and then rattling 30 foot up in a tree out of nowhere, like the deer's going to hear it, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be enticed to come and check it out. Like it, I don't, I don't know if it just makes a whole lot of sense in their mind or not. And I'm not saying that these deer are thinking about all of these steps, but back to being more realistic, if you're realistic about it, then it's going to be a lot more, you know, I guess intriguing or, and the deer are going to be more enticed to come in and, and hear that. If you're clanking around metal, they're going to be like, okay, that's not natural. You know, you know, I'm not going to check that out, but if it's, you know, like this subtle, like something's walking through the woods and it's at that natural feed time, or if it's at last light or something like that, then I think that that deer is going to come in and, and check things out. Well, not, and, yeah. and not just walking through the woods, but also trying to make that cadence sound of, like you said earlier, like talking with the sticks of like trying to sound like an actual deer kind of getting up and walking around. Um, yeah. Because that's totally different from just you or me walking around in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a really good, by the way, that was a great analogy. Because, dude, listen, I knew, I knew where you were probably going to go with that about like something in your house. I was going to like, if you just heard a voice in your house, I'm like, bro, listen, <laughs> dude, hitting yeah. the, I'm hitting the safe, man. All right. I'm hitting the gun <laughs> like, safe. Dude, like, yeah, 100%. Like, that, that actually makes a ton of sense, especially on the days where it is more calm. Now, real windy days. You know, I guess it might not be as uh, important to make some of those subtle t- sounds on real windy days just because the deer's not going to hear another deer walking around, especially, you know, if it's outside yeah, 50 yards from it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, in, in those windy days, I, I would be more aggressive probably with the sounds that I'm making or probably not even do them just because they're not going to reach as far, and I don't know if the deer is actually going to hear me or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you're not picking up, if, if you're not getting deer – so. 
another thing that's going to help you determine whether or not a deer is in the area, every single time that I've done this, I've usually heard um, heard birds or a squirrel or something like that from the area that I think that a deer is bedded. I'll usually hear them start cutting up a little bit shortly after. I would say within about 10 to 20 minutes, you're going to hear some kind of bird or something like that cut up in the general direction that these deer are going to be. Um, and that's kind of what happened the other day uh, on my hunt. So, But we'll get into that later. Yeah, uh, so uh, just because you, you touched on it, and it was something I wanted to bring up anyways, but anyone that might know you know uh, knows that you, know, you have a um, – a perspective when it comes to like listening to birds and other animals in the woods kind of signal that there's deer up and moving uh, from different areas. Can you explain that kind of how you can kind of pay attention to like what the birds are doing, especially during around prime time of how when deer is walking through the woods, you can kind of hear that transition from like those birds, you know, throughout the forest making noise as that deer is walking past them. Yeah. So usually in the afternoon, um, you're going to have things that are, are, are kind of quiet. And, uh, and then you're going to have this period where you, you hear all of these birds all at once kind of get up and they start, you know, making noise, making racket, they're feeding. You'll see the squirrels come out of the trees and they're running around. And then you'll start hearing that kind of tail off a little bit. And then right around that time, you'll also hear these birds that are off in thickets and they'll start, you know, cutting up and making little alarm sounds. And those are the ones that I key in on is the ones that are making making these little alarm sounds. And you'll know it. You don't necessarily have to know what bird is making it, like what what you know, what kind of bird it is, but you'll be able to tell the difference in an alarm sound versus just a regular bird just, you know, chirping away. Um and those are the ones that you want to key in on. Um, especially if they're in those thicker areas that you can't see into. Um, because that's usually the you know the type of cover where these deer are coming from, and so you can always tell usually, you know, are they moving closer to you? Are they moving away? Um, and that kind of thing. Do you hear the birds? You know, off a ridge point in the morning and start cutting up, and then you know as you know every five minutes progresses, you hear them start uh, cutting up further up the ridge. You know, more than likely that's, you know, some kind of animal or deer moving through the woods um, just a little ways away from you. And those birds are kind of tracking along, you know, different birds are um, are cutting up as the, as the you know, animals moving through the woods. So, Mike, um, Mike, I want you to explain this a little bit more. Can you go over, like, an uh, example? I think you might have done this in Wyoming, but I can't remember. Where, like, you heard bird, you set up in one spot, you heard birds. Like, you thought that you were going to work through one area, but you're hearing birds, you know, off another 100 yards or so. Where deer are moving through a different transition, you move up and you're able to lay eyes on those deer at a later time going that same transition? Yeah, I, I, I do that a lot. Um, if I hear the birds cutting up in a certain area more than where I'm at or more than where I'm, you know, then I'll move to that area for either the next hunt or if it's, you know, if it's the morning hunt and I've hunted and I've not seen anything, but I know a certain direction where the birds were cutting up that morning when they should have been coming back to bed, then I'll head in that direction and I'll start looking for sign uh, in that general direction. And usually nine times out of 10, I'll find a new trail that I didn't know about or, you know, a new sign that I didn't know about. And then I'll, I'll work from there off that last little bit of sign right there where those, you know, birds or squirrels were cutting up at. 
Yeah, I find that very, very interesting. So I want to start getting into the the deer um, that you ended up killing. What? Oh, I had one more question before we got into that. Uh, Go go for it. It's kind of milking it just a little bit. Go for it. I mean, listen. So, Mike, before we jump into that, when it comes to, you know, we talked about like maybe on like these more calm days, that's when this kind of finesse calling can really be like a huge factor um, in sounding a little bit more natural and getting deer that might be a little bit more on edge because it's a little bit more calm. They can hear everything, maybe be a little more enticed to come in. How much does location on setup and where you're trying to hunt play a factor into using these tactics? Location is going to be key, especially if it's in the evening. Um, these deer are a lot more cautious. They're not going to go as far. Um, you can't be like, you know, 100 or 200 yards away from a thicket making this, you know, sound. Like, you need to be up tight close to it. So, like, you need to find a small draw that's going up into the thicket where you think they're bedded at. And you need to try to do it there where wherever you think the deer bedded, you want to get close enough in there where you think they can, you know, hear your sounds that you're making um, because it's not going to do you any good if you're far enough away from it and they don't want to go that far before, you know, the end of legal shooting light. So I think that that plays a huge role in, you know, being successful using those tactics. So you want to be close. Now, how much of a factor does this play – on a morning versus afternoon evening hunt i've had more luck in the evening doing it um i would say with the finesse tactics because they're a lot more cautious uh so you know your finesse versus your more aggressive are going to work better in the evening uh i don't think that they're going to get up out of their bed and be ready to go you know necessarily fight somebody unless it's in the rut or something like that so like more of your finesse type stuff is going to work better uh in the evening versus the morning and then uh, kind of my final question on this unless you say something that just totally derails where we're going to go and we'll just dive <laughs> into that too uh how now talk about access how much does access play a factor and should try to get close to these bedded deer uh where you kind of know they're located at how much does access play a factor in getting in there clean but also <sighs> sound natural norm normally i would have said uh you know access is is definitely going to play a huge part and it still could, especially with these mature deer. But just to give you an example, the other day on my deer, I mean, he came in on my access path. Um, but I think there was kind of possibly a twist to that, which we'll get into with the story. Um, but I think you need to try your best to stay away from where you think the deer might be coming in to, I guess, to your area. You need to try to stay up, you know, away from where you think they may, you know, cut your scent trail before they actually get to you. So whatever way that is, I think is going to be the best access. Okay, Jacob just made the perfect segue into what I wanted to ask about. So now we're on the deer story. Let's let's talk about this deer you just killed. Um, I want to start with the access because I think the access is really interesting where, like, a lot of places in the south, it's a it's basically a cutover with a road on three or four sides. So three sides have a cutover. One side is a hardwood drainage, right? Uh, right. Super super typical. And um, when you say cutover, ah yeah okay you, you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah because people were like this is cutting like t- <laughs> a couple years ago. Um, this yeah. will be like eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, so it's a uh, it's it's got some sizable pine trees in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That we found like out. probably 15, 15 foot tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which were I think that those are like 
some of the more prime ones now because those are the ones that have the most honeysuckle and stuff in them and blackberry right. and all kinds yeah, of Yeah, it's not so like grass underneath it. That's yeah, it's more not like grassy. Forward. It's like sticks, briars, vines. vines Nothing you want to walk through. <laughs> vines equal big bucks, man. Yep, I 100%. swear. 100%, man. When I, find, when I walk into a place and there's vines everywhere, I'm like, oh, old mossy horns in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you think about it. I mean, you think about it. That that kind of a place is his home and his feeding area. The only thing he's lacking is water. Um, so he really doesn't have to go and get water, you know, as often as he would normally feed probably. Um, just because, especially down here in the South, I mean, there's one, there's water just about everywhere. And two, I mean, it's not like we ever go through any kind of drought period. Uh, not for real, for real compared yeah. to other States. So, I mean, it's not like they're lacking. So, I mean, it's it's so secure. I mean, they can stay in those thickets all day long, just like we had talked about, you know, all year long this year. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So, I mean, well, the, the access here is interesting because, like I said, it's got the cutover on all on three sides, or the roads right. on, on three sides. And uh, you basically had to walk down one of those roads and then kind of J-hook up through those hardwoods and get back on the edge of the thicket. Um, and from where this deer came from i mean you walked right past him like when you got it when you went in there uh, right because you had to walk through that whole bedding area so right so i mean what was that where first of all how far away do you think he was like do you think he was laid up in there do you think he heard you walk down that for, like grab yeah road? i know i know for a fact that he heard me walk in i don't i don't know if he could have heard me from the gravel road or not it would have been pretty close i mean if we were really popping rocks walking in which we could have been because we were we were actually going in and check a trail camera me and clay were and so how it all unfolded is we were going to check trail cams that day i had this trail camera out on a mock scrape and i'm pretty sure after sending y'all the picture of the deer that i have the picture of this deer and he really i mean he really blew up from the first half of july to to when i ended up taking him added some um, serious time length serious time length dude and that guy got me to thinking about some of those other deer that were way bigger than him at that same time frame like i I just wonder what those deer look like right now like let's go kill one of them find out i know i know right yeah rocking chairs on their head yeah so so anyways um we we headed in to this draw all it is is a draw between you have two pine knobs or uh secondary points on either side and this real skinny drainage that runs down through the middle of it. And then it drops off to like a bluff. Um, so there's basically, there's basically like three or four trails that cut across. You have one that cuts across through the pines at the head of the draw. Um, then about three quarters of the way down, you have a, a small faint trail. Then in the middle, you have a really good trail. And that's the one that I've seen most of the does using is that middle trail. And then at the very end, you right, right where the bluff is, you have another kind of faint trail, but it has like, I found a bed on it last year and I found quite a few rubs on it. So, and that's where this buck came from, uh, that morning that I got him on the mock scrape. Now, interesting. So my camera died at the very end of August. I went back through the trail cam photos. I did not have another single picture from the second week of July to the end of August of that deer. Oh wow! Really? Um, yeah, exactly. So, and it and and this thing was, um, uh, you know, way up, 
way up away. It didn't have any straps um, that could have held any scent. So I'm really not sure if it was just the fact that I went in there like two or three times to check the trail camera or if or if that deer was just not using that specific trail like the does were. And he really wasn't interested in that mock scrape until closer to season because when we went down there to check it, uh, the scrape had been refreshed up within the past few days since it rained. And then I checked the trail camera. It was, it was dead since August. Um, and just to give credit um, – here it'll make sense in a sec uh clint carter that's the one who had termed the finesse tactics when i was trying to explain to him i was like these subtle you know sounds like the deer's walking and feeding he's like oh yeah he said i don't know what you're talking about you're talking about those finesse tactics and i was like oh yeah so you know all about that too so i think a lot more people probably have used these uh tactics you know before and probably implement them but they're not as mainstream as like most of your stuff like your grunting and rattle and sequences um you're starting to see stuff like the hunting publics you know on the ground and they're raking and and really getting aggressive with some of the stuff i don't think these deer down here get as aggressive as the ones up in the midwest so i don't i've i've yet to see you know like a deer come running in you know to to check out you know this you know, fake buck that's making this scrape right here and rubbing on this tree. But um, I do think it could work down here in certain certain scenarios. Um, but anyways, he had, he had basically walked in front of that camera and made all kinds of, I guess, different gestures and stuff like that, like you see on a lot of trail cam photos. But unfortunately, it didn't get it because it died like four months ago. So, um, but anyways, back to the story we get down there and the scrape has been freshened up and i told clay i was like hey man i was like can you do me a huge favor i had my gun okay i didn't have my backpack no water no food uh no jacket so it's like 30 and 40 degrees that day all i had on was a smart wool thermal uh top and that was it and, and my gun um so i said hey can you do me a favor this was totally on the fly i didn't plan on doing this but I was like, I'm going to walk up here about, you know, 30 or 40 yards. I'm going to clear out a spot next to this pine, and I'm going to sit down. I said, can you walk out? Because I have a feeling that this deer is in this area right here, and he's bedded down. And if he hears you walk out, then maybe he's going to come in and check out and see what was going on down here. Well, that initially didn't work out, so it's around lunchtime, okay? The major food time or feed time that day was at 2.10, so about 2.30, I ended up making my sequence, the first sequence. So, you know, I said I'd do it at the, the major, you know, feed times or, you know, when they typically move, you know, at, at daybreak and at, at dark. So I hear him stand up and start moving around because I can hear the birds cutting up and then I can hear some, some brush, you know, moving around up there in the pine thicket right above me. So that was at like 2.30. Um but then he quietened down and then, it, you know, he never did move from there. So he got up, he heard me making that sequence, but he was, he was cautious enough not to come out right then. And so what I'm doing is I did, I did another sequence just like that around four o'clock. I could tell, you know, the thermal shifted, the air was pulling down. I heard a gunshot as I was actually doing the sequence, which is further in my mind you know, said, okay, the deer are up on their feet. Um, 
about 10 or 15 minutes after I did that sequence, I heard him again. I heard the birds start cutting up, and I heard him walking around up there in that thicket. And it sounded like he was heading up the draw. Then about that time, another deer to my left on my left side started cutting up or the birds started cutting up. So I knew there was a deer over there. Um, and a lot that you'll see that a lot of times, if you start paying attention to those birds, if you start hearing the birds cut up in one area it, and then you start hearing them cut up in another area, that's like one of your natural movement times. Um, and that's why I said, if I, if I was able to use like a Bluetooth speaker to really make a whole sequence there's no telling how many deer you could actually call in using these subtle tactics because those birds is a key part to the whole thing. Like when they start making their little alarm sounds and you start hearing that noise, you know, of like movement and stuff, and it's within that natural feed or move time, that just increases your likelihood of, you know, being able to call something in because that's like what happens every single time these deer get up at those natural times. So, all right, hold on a second, hold on a second, Mike. I'm gonna cut you off. Hold on, you, you, you talked. Wait, there, there's a lot there, bro. Hold on, there's a lot there. I didn't know about none of this because listen, I kept him in the yeah, dark. Well, man. Uh, well, I wanted to because for this episode, for this exact reason, two, a couple things. I want to pull us back for a second. We're gonna get back to the story. So you got in. I thought for the the way I had heard the story, I thought, and I didn't hear really a lot of the story. I thought you went in you know, like an hour or two before dark and this all happened. But you got in like midday, correct? Yeah, it was like 12.45, I think, all right. 1 o'clock, something like that. All right, so so what was the reason, again, for you to want to set up in this area? Like, just, just was the the sign again? Again, what made you want to why, set why up Why did you think that the deer was in that cutover? Exactly. I thought the deer was in there because I know that it's a perfect bedding area. And I've already gotten a buck on camera over there earlier in the year. Uh, I know the does are using that area frequently. Um, I, I saw the freshened up scrapes. That meant it had to be in within like the past two to three days. Um, you know, all of that just told me, hey, I need to be here. The wind was good for it. Um, so the fact that we went in to check it, uh, you know, I had um, Clay go back out. Because, I mean, how many times have y'all been hunting with somebody, say like your dad when you're younger, a little kid, he drops you off, you know, you climb up, he walks away, and then within 30 minutes, you've got a deer come by uh, the stand, you know, where you're at, um, checking things out. Like, how many times have, have you heard that happen, or has that happened to you? Dude, listen, get me all excited. <laughs> that was a tactic. Us growing up as kids, my uncle, that was one thing we would always do. If we were ever hunting together, especially like young, he would always be like, hey, I'm going to get it. Because he said the same thing when we were growing up. He's like, listen, he's like the deer. He's like, they grew up hunting where one guy would walk down. Say they were going to walk down like a long road or something to get to like, like one guy was going to go to one field or one spot. The other guy was going to go to another spot. One guy would go first, and the other guy would stay behind, like, 15 minutes behind. And a lot of times that guy, the second guy walking in, you know, especially on an afternoon hunt, would get a shot at a buck crossing the road right after that guy walked by. Um, right. And we would do that as kids where we would be, like, in a stand or something. He's like, okay, I'm going to leave first. When I leave, watch kind of like the back, watch where I'm walking and just see if a deer comes out. And we would do it, and, like, we would see deer. I don't think I ever killed a deer doing that, but, you know, we'd see deer yeah. after he would walk off. A deer would cross his path, uh, kind of cautiously, knowing that someone had just walked through there. Um, right. 
but uh, and, very interesting. And that's my and that's my thought process on the whole finesse tactics is the deer know that you're in there. Like it, it's not that you're always in the wrong place. You're picking the wrong spots. It's that the deer are already in there and they know that you're in there and they know that you're not, you know, another animal in the woods um, just because of hearing your cadence uh, and, and that type of thing. Like these deer are usually there and you just don't see them or, you know, they're they're aware of the sounds that are going on outside of that thicket and they're just not going to go out there and check to see what's going on because they know it's not normal. Well, Mike, another thing I want to touch on was um, you talked about how you wanted uh, Clay to walk back out just to kind of, you know, if there's a deer close by that he hears that same sound that he heard coming in, leaving as well. Did he right. walk, Did he go out the same way y'all came in? Or yeah, he, he walked out the same exact way. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, very I'm, interesting. I'll add another thing for a little bit more context. This is the same spot um, – where I got the mm -hmm. that big seven on camera that you found dead, uh, same scrape. So the mock scrape that Michael's talking about, the scrape's been there for years. Like I got that buck on camera. It's a 20, his, it's a historical scrape. Yeah, yeah. I got I found like I can't remember who who went in there first, um, but I I remember I found that scrape in 2018 when I first went in there and uh, put the camera on it. And we had a bunch of camera malfunctions, but we got that big seven on camera. And he, he went right up into the same bedding area that your buck came out of. And they look very similar, the two bucks do. Uh, yeah. Like, they're high high and tight, good, great mass, um, but yours is a big eight. Um, but, yeah, well, that, that's kind of... Well, technically, technically, he's an 11 point. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't seen the yeah. deer. Like, oh, he, I've seen he, pictures. I haven't put oh, hands dude. on him. Oh, dude, he's, he's a, I put hands on him. He's I get nice. a good Oh, dude, he's a big deer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah, same scrape. Scrape's been there for a long time, and, you know, this ties in with all kinds of other podcasts we've done um, about finding, like, I, I don't know if I would call it a community scrape. It's a big scrape for sure on a big main trail that leaves that bedding area. Yeah. And that scrape's just been there. They use it every year, so. Like we we've known about this spot for a while, um, and we knew that that had past history. What? No, no I was gonna say yeah, per yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I want to kind of get back into it. So, my one thing that one thing that was interested, kind of like when we actually went to track this deer, which I'm kind of jumping ahead, but like where you kind of sat up, like because you're sit you're sat up in this drainage, you set up on the ground in this drainage. Which first off, let me ask you. Was there a certain reason why you wanted to set up on the ground versus up in a tree? Yeah, because that drainage is very steep, mm -hmm. by the way. Uh, yeah, there's a huge reason why, because I didn't plan on going in there to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good so, point. Uh, no, but, I mean, I set up a lot of times, you know, on the ground when I go into these areas, um, especially if it's a new area and I'm scouting my way in. Um, I, w I won't carry a stand on my back because I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I've gone through with a whole, you know, complete setup only to end up sitting on the ground because where the deer are at, you don't have that tree. Like where you're finding the sign, where you're finding the scrapes, where you're finding the good rubs, I, most of the time they're not in those really good, you know, areas where, you know, you're going to have a whole lot of options as far as trees. And if, even if you do have a tree, once you get up in it, you're not going to be able to see into what you want to basically hunt. Um, so I think 
I'd like to tell people, don't limit yourself just because you have a stand or you have a saddle. Don't limit yourself to, you know, feeling like you have to use that um, for every single hunt. Um, because even though this, this setup, it happened the way it happened because I was only going in to check a trail camera, you know, versus going in to set up in a stand, um, especially on the evening hunts when you're expecting them to be uh, dropping down and for your thermals to be dropping. Um, my thermals were concentrated uh, in the, basically in that draw, which is the only reason that that buck didn't bust me. Uh, when he came in because my thermals are dropping away from him straight down the center of that draw. And so, you know, especially with these evening setups, uh, I think probably hunting on the ground would probably be your, would be a better option for you, honestly. Yeah. And another thing that was interesting about the setup, which I want you to kind of talk a little bit more about, but, um, you were set up higher up in the draw than I thought, like just from, you know, kind of what I had heard and everything and kind of my thought process with thermals, you know, I would have thought about dropping down to the bottom, kind of watching your back trail, but you kind of sat up at that top. I don't know if you'd say the top third. It's a pretty big drainage. I mean, it's a steep drainage. Um, yeah. But, but you were like on the higher edge of it, kind of up closer towards the top of the cuts. Um, well, you know, what was your reasoning for that? So on that, I was more or less rolling the dice. Um, you know, I, I knew that if they came out on the middle trail, uh, that it would have to, the deer would have to make it to the center of that draw before he would cross my scent. Um, I would at least be able to get a shot of him coming out, out of the pines before he could hit my scent down there in the bottom. Um, if I was further down, uh, that would have been a great area if I could have seen all the way to where that bluff was. But if I was down that far, then I wouldn't be able to catch both sides like i felt like he could skirt me so i was going to have to roll the dice on that uh and just hope that he didn't he didn't end up going to that furthest trail um because i wouldn't have been able to cover what i covered if i had so um i was i was rolling the dice and just hoping he was going to come in um and 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 check that scrape uh likely what would normally happen probably if i didn't use the you know, the finesse tactic on that was that deer would come in and scent, track, uh, scent check from, you know, down at the end where that bluff was and then wrap up into it, um, which is what I really wanted to do. I really wanted to be able to cover the bottom half and the top half, but um, it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, but also, I'll tell you another thing is, you know, the way you set up now to me makes a little bit more sense because if a, if a, if a big deer is in the area and he wants to kind of check that area, there's more thick cover at the top of that draw than at the bottom. At the bottom, he's much more exposed, even though there might be a chance he could catch some of those falling thermals being on the edge of some of that thick cover, but he'd be much more exposed down there than coming on that top trail where he could, you know, maybe get a visual on something. Um, I agree. And then he could swing down below if he wants to, uh, but he can, he has much more thick cover at the top of the draw than at the bottom. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think especially during the morning or midday, the head of that draw would be even better, mm -hmm. you know, of, of a setup um, because he can catch those thermals coming up and he can stay in that thick cover. Yeah. And all he's got to do is go around checking the heads of all these draws that come off of these uh, where, where it meets up with those, the secondary points. Mm, that gives me a different perspective now. Yeah. Hmm.
now I want to I want to go back to the to the deer himself. So Clay leaves and uh, it gets to be about two o'clock when you know according to the moon the deer should be up and feeding, uh, and and you do your little calling sequence and you hear him get up. What? Well, wait, go over your what was your calling sequence again? Just as a little reminder for everybody, because you said you did it a couple different times. Yeah. So th- the first one I ended up um, I ended up doing the basically the cadence like the deer and so what i'm doing is i so don't think of like you know me taking like the two little sticks um you know and i i gather that they you know have four legs and they sound a little bit different but um the closer really people if they want to start using these um these kinds of things they they need to either go listen to some videos of like deer walking through the woods or, you know, if they know what the deer, if they spend enough time in the woods and they know what the cadence sounds like, you know, then that's fine too. But I think the cadence is important because, you know, th- these deer are not going to be walking over the same leaves, for instance. So, like, when I'm making these sequences, I'm starting out maybe, like, wrapped around, like, twisting my body to my far right, like, kind of behind me. And I'm actually making the little... um sticks go all the way like i'm doing a counterclockwise motion you know all the way around to the other side because you don't realize it but all the leaves you know are not sounding the same so you may hit like a spot where the leaves aren't as dense and it may go from you know just like a a solid sound to where it's just real crunchy um this the the sound like the pitch and all the different leaves sound different as you go around so that's the kind of noise that i was going for is just to make it really you know change in a variety of sounds um i would make some of my steps a lot heavier um you know and then i'd pick up pace you know like i was talking about earlier you know like if you get a couple of does in there you may have one that's a little bit behind and it takes off running a little bit and then it slowly trots you know to where it comes to a a steady walk again and then they pause for a minute and then they start milling around and then you pick up, you know, you know, 15 or 20 seconds later and they start walking around and that you basically do it all over again. You can go back from being uh, going in a counterclockwise direction to, you know, a clockwise direction, whether zigzagging or something like that down through that little draw. Um, and then another thing that I've done is right at the tail end, like when you're getting ready to finish it up, make it to where like the deer is sounding like, even though um, the deer may not sound like it's moving from where you're at because you're kind of limited to how far you can reach out with your arms, if you'll soften that cadence with each time versus, you know, when you start out, if it's kind of soft and then it goes louder and then it kind of goes soft at the tail end of your little sequence, it makes it sound like the deer came in from a little bit further away, was louder when, you know, it got into that area And then as it's walking off, that, you know, sound is getting a little bit, you know, quieter and quieter to where it sounds like it may have walked off. So, um, so that's what I usually do with those little sequences, um, when I started out and kind of in the media of it and then towards the tail end of it, I kind of quieten it down a little bit. Like the deer has kind of made some distance, I guess you could say. Uh, this, this might sound dumb, but I'm just going to ask because I'm sure there are people out, out there thinking this. Uh, just what size sticks are you using, and do you have any specific types? Because you have whatever, a specific brand. Are they sick? What, whatever, whatever is close enough to me at the time. Um, 
the other day I only had uh, one stick, but it had two. It had a, like a split in the middle. So all I did is like took it and twisted it like back and forth, like you know, to where I was able to make it. And then uh, sometimes if I don't have you know that split at the one end, then I'll just take the one stick and hold it in the middle, and then just twist my wrist back and forth to where you get both tips, you know, that are touching. Um, just, you just got to, you just got to experiment with it. And I, I know it sounds crazy and goofy, but this stuff works. Um, like I told Andrew, if, if, if I had a electric um, RC car and I could, <laughs> and if I could attach a uh, scent drag to it and, and run it through the woods I guarantee you one morning I could call up a huge buck thinking that a deer's being chased all over the woods. Um, <laughs> I kid you not, it would work, guys. I swear it would work. I bet it would, too. I, I could totally see that working. Uh, I could totally see it working. I don't know how that falls because, into the legality of everything. Yeah, but, no, you're but probably it, not supposed to do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember anything about RC cars being in the regs. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I know, man. I know, I know about electronic calls, but uh, which is the only reason why I haven't made my own uh, uh, mixtape and then sold a mixtape for <laughs> for uh, for calling in these deer. Call, call it the Blue but, Jay uh, Shuffle. The Blue Jay <laughs> Shuffle. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, sorry. Okay, well, I was just curious about the whole kind of stick thing. Man, it sounds like a little product, man. You need to come out with old Mike. Yeah, dude. You need you need to get together with some drumstick company. But hey, your scrap drumsticks, you need to send them my way. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, no, but okay. So let's get back to the hunt. So you know, kind of get back to that that two two thirty time frame. You kind of hear, you know, it sounds like the deer stands up, does a little bit of feeding. How far away do you think he is at that time? At that time, he's about forty yards away. Oh, he's about twenty. He's about twenty yards from me to the uh, to the edge of the thicket, and then he's about twenty yards inside the thicket when I heard him stop. By the way, Mike, so you're kind of looking uphill. Is he on your right hand side or left hand side? He's on my. If I'm looking up the hill, he would be on my left hand side. Oh, um, oh, but facing down the hill towards the scrape, he was on my right. Yeah. So yeah. and and the other deer, I had no idea the other deer was there and and i say that with 100 percent confidence because these the, the birds just don't automatically make that alarm sound out of nowhere at that you know at that prime move time so i never never knew the other deer was there to my left um until the second sequence which was like shortly after four o'clock it was like five or ten minutes after four um and it did not get up and start moving around until it heard the other to my right start get up and move around, which was just a couple of minutes after I did my second sequence. Um, so, so anyways, after that second sequence, so I heard him and he works his way up to the head of the draw. And so about 10 minutes passes by and I, th- I thought that they both left and walked away. Um, but turns out about, I don't know, a few minutes after that, I hear something still up at the head of the draw and I'll turn around and look back up the head of the draw and that buck is coming down the same trail that me and Clay walked down. So that's why I said, you know, typically I would say make sure your access is perfect and that deer doesn't know. But I think part of the success in that was that I had Clay walk out that afternoon too. So what he heard come in he also heard leave um, earlier in the day. And 
I've heard a lot of stuff about deer don't deer don't remember stuff after like five minutes. I think that's a bunch of crock. I don't know what y'all think, but these deer these deer can remember a lot longer than five minutes. I'm just telling you. I've never heard the goldfish analogy, but yeah, but I, I agree with you, Mike. I think that if if they had like memory that short term, I think they'd be a lot easier to kill. Uh, I, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that like like any other like critter, like a dog or anything, they learn by association. And I think that like they they probably associate with people, as in. Usually we go in one way and we go out the same way, right? You know, you know, right. something, you know something interesting, Mike, because he's bedded so close to kind of axis right there, it almost would make sense that like, you know, Josh Driver, you know, we've had guys on the podcast talk about like deer don't necessarily bet that deer aren't like Josh Driver talks about this all the time. Deer aren't bedding in an area necessarily to oversee like his thought process. They're not overseeing like where pressure's coming from. They're not like, oh, I know I'm going to go lay next to that gate because people always but they're, there. but they're sitting in an area that you know they're not being messed with but if something does mess with them they have a really good exit point yeah and that makes a lot of sense kind of where he was sitting at is it's probably a lot of people would walk past that deer um or if they did like kind of hunt the same draw that you're in he could go back the opposite direction um you know especially if he heard somebody walk in you know on an afternoon hunt or morning hunt and he could walk out a different direction and never even have to like come close to that hunter um, so yeah, having clay go back out where that deer thinks that, you know, whatever that, that noise was, that person, whatever he smelt, you know, has walked back out, maybe put him a little bit more, you know, kind of, uh, you know, at ease to kind of ease in there and see what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That deer out there could cover 500 yards without coming out of that pine thicket. Easy. He could go to multiple bedding points without even coming out of that pine thicket. Um, so, I mean, it's just it makes sense all the way around. Um, that deer goes into the pine ticket uh, right before daylight, and he can move a considerable amount, you know, as far as distance goes without even feeling like he's, um, you know, going to be seen or, or come in contact with any kind of human pressure. All right, so you look up the hill, you hear something, and you start seeing him coming down that trail. Wait, hold on. Uh-oh. Wait. Uh-oh. The, the first time that you heard him, did he, did he bed, like, right there on the edge of the thing and lay there for two hours before he came yeah, back out? Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so he did not move. I figure he didn't move probably 20 yards from the first time he stood up. Um, but then he, he, he laid there for another two hours uh, before he got up and after I did that second sequence before he came in. And it was probably a good 20 minutes maybe 30 minutes before uh, he even was able to cover probably 40 yards. So do you think that, uh, like, did you hear him bed down or anything like that, or did you just hear him and then it stopped? He, like, he Yeah, it, I heard him, and then after about five minutes, it stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, the, bird, the bird got quiet. Uh, it stopped. Um, the, the rustling of the leaves up there in the pine thicket, it stopped. And then it just got quiet again. And kind of the same thing had happened whenever, um, after I did the second sequence, you know, I heard him for a few minutes. uh, And it sounded like he was moving away, like further up the draw, like towards where I'd come in at. Um, And I think what he had did is he had made it up to where the the pines had had started um, at the very top. And there in those pines it really wasn't a mixture of you know it, it was more open underneath i think there were older age pines possibly 
and they were a lot more cleared out underneath. So it was like walking on carpet. And that's the reason why I never heard him until he hit the draw. Um, so he ends up working down the draw towards me and I'm sitting on the other side of this pine tree and I'm leaning my head around and I've got one little tree in between me and him. So right now he's about 30 yards uh, from me and he ends up working like zigzagging. He, he's working towards me, but he's zigzagging down the draw. And I'm not sure if he was, you know, like smelling scent or if he was like, I saw him a couple of times, you know, munching on some kind of little vine. Um, you know, maybe he was just browsing around. Uh, he ends up finally, he, he ends up making it about 25 yards to me and he's still straight on. And I'm wondering if I'm going to have to take a straight on shot at him. And then he zigzags one more time and he's coming further uh, towards the side where he came in on initially like from towards that direction, like towards the east. And he ends up, I guess, giving me enough of a – he was more quartered instead of more straight on. So I leaned around that tree, and right now he's about 20 yards from me. And I got the uh, crosshairs set on the inside of his front shoulder uh, that was closest to me and let her rip. And – he took off down the draw towards me, come within about five yards of my tree. And there's a little bit of a drop right there, right next to where my tree was, where it drops because the creek's running down through there. And he, that's when I told y'all, he launched off of that thing. Because y'all kept on giving me a hard time about how big is he? How big is he? Is he big? I was like, well, <laughs> when he was coming towards me, he looked like a solid eight point. Now, when he came by me at five yards and he launched off of there like, uh, like Santa's reindeer off a roof. <laughs> I was like, this joker looked huge. And, <laughs> and so I never could give y'all a definitive answer that night um, whether or not he was actually big or small. Like I, I knew he was a shooter, but I didn't know exactly how big he was until he, he launched off of that little ledge right next to me and and took off down the holler. And seeing him at five yards and him like, I don't know, five or six foot above me, like, I mean, just his time length, you know, he just looked massive <laughs> next to me like that. So, um, so anyways, did, did y'all want to go into the rest of the story or just kind of leave that? Yeah, I mean, we can talk about it. Um, well, and you, you, like, no joke, I mean, he might have even been closer than five yards because the blood trail. He ran right I mean, literally, the blood you. trail to where you kicked out, I think it was less than five I, I think mean, it was, too. He ran, I mean, you could have literally stepped out in front of that deer and just got clobbered. I know, you should have <laughs> yeah. turned the butt of your gun around and clocked him when he was running by. I mean, you Yeah, <laughs> I, I should have not even tried to find him in the scope because I'd already re-racked one, and um, I should have just. hip. Yeah, shot from the hip, exactly. <laughs> Man, yeah. Well, well, you shoot him, he runs down the hill, dude, and kind of gets quiet. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I literally, I saw blood five feet from or five yards from where you were sitting. So clearly, I'm guessing you saw blood. Well, um, I gotta say, I know that I knew that Michael had shot a good deer because we were laughing about this when I met when I met up with you to blood trail it. I know Michael saw a good deer because when he called me to tell me he'd shot one and ask if I could come out there to help him track it. He made no sense when I was talking to him. I'm like, where are you at? And he's like, well, well, I'm so, over here by this and that. I'm like, so, I thought so you were five miles from where you were talking about. <laughs> so here's another thing, okay? And I kind of skipped over all of this. So y'all, if y'all remember, I went in at midday 
when it was warm and we were walking around, we'd been hiking and pulling cameras. I went in with no jacket, nothing but this thermal shirt, okay? By the time, the last hour, actually probably the last two hours, I was in complete shade and I was shivering. Like, I was so freaking cold. Like, <laughs> I had shook enough to where my my body had gotten so cold that I stopped shivering. Like, it was just like, I give up. <laughs> it was like, like hyperthermia? It was like, it was like dude, Stage it, was like, two it, was, hyperthermia. it was upper 30s and I'm in a thermal shirt and that was it. Oh, and it so, was cold that day. Yeah, it was oh, yeah. real cold. That night it was cold. I was wearing my hoodie yeah. while we were tracking. Yeah, so anyways, I, I, I'd already shook enough to where I, I'm telling you, my body was just like, screw this, man. He's like, I'm tired of shaking to try to warm you up. There is, there's no hope. Like, we're just frozen solid. Die so, like, one of, one of y'all had asked if I was shaking or nervous whenever, uh, whenever I shot because, you know, it wasn't a good shot. And I was like, no, I was like, I, th- I think I was just frozen like a, like a block of ice, to be honest. <laughs> so anyways, um, so the deer goes like 75 yards and I lose him. I try to put my scope on him and I lose him behind a clump of trees. And I thought he had died right there because I never saw him wrap around the corner. Well, when we, so I ended up calling you guys to come and help track him. And we, we go down and we make it to that spot and he well, kept on Oh, hold on. No, no, you're like, you're like, dude, listen, listen. Uh, I want to go through my mindset. So <laughs> I get off the phone with Andrew. Andrew's like, oh, yeah, man. He, he heard it, like, go down. He thinks he heard it went down, like, right there in the drainage, whatever. Like, kind of, he lost it. Was like, I was like, I, I, cause I asked him, I was like, I mean, what did he do when he ran? And he was like, he ran straight downhill and he was like barreling through stuff. I'm like, he's done. And he's like, it's I'm quiet. like, he's dead at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So I'm like, oh, I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to get this deer out whole. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to pack this one out. If it's a real good deer, I want to get him out whole and get some cool photos. Yeah. And uh, you're like, okay, yeah. I'm like, I'll bring the game cart. Man, <laughs> we carry that SOB all the way back in there. I know why I've never used the game cart before. Yeah, it was too. for that reason. Man, we carry that game cart all the way back in there. You know, me and Clay like walking with it. Oh man, so excited! We're gonna we're gonna get this deer out, and we start going down the blood trail, and y'all get way ahead of us because me and Clay are just kind of hanging back because I didn't think we need five guys just freaking on top of a, a massive blood trail. There's really no need for it, and uh, we get down there. I'm just waiting to hear y'all hoop and holler. You know, we're like 50 yards behind. I'm just waiting for y'all to start screaming, and it yeah. doesn't happen. We we keep going. I'm like, oh my god, look at this blood. I'm like, this blood would be fantastic with a broadhead. I'd be like extremely impressed. Yeah. And uh, we keep going, and just the blood trail was just immense. And then we kept going. Yeah, blood trail was going. very, very impressive. Like I like you said, Mike. I thought we were gonna find him dead, you know, right there at the bottom of the draw. Um, and we yep. start going down, and blood, you know, blood's pretty good going downhill. And then it gets to kind of where it flattens out, and he just opened up. Oh man. my gosh, dude! I mean, a lot of blood. And I was a little bit like, so we knew it was a frontal shot. And you shot him with a 308, and me and Jacob were talking about it on the phone before we came out there. And I'm like, the only thing that worries me a little bit is the fact that it was like a hard quarter two shot right there in the pocket, kind of high up on the chest. I'm like, with a 308, I feel like he should have just buckled. 
Like I've every shot. time I've ever shot a deer with a rifle like that. Yeah, I've shot a deer like that with a seven millimeter O eight, and literally, because like when you're when you're taking a frontal shot like that with a rifle or with a bow, you're aiming for the heart. I mean, that's what you're yeah. trying to hit. You're yeah. not you're not trying to hit the lungs because you're going right between the lungs. I mean, you're you know yeah, you can't go through both lungs necessarily like with a straight frontal. So you're trying to get hit the heart. The problem is you hit too low, too far to the left, too far to the right. It becomes either a low brisket hit, it becomes a leg hit, it becomes a one lung liver gut shot yeah which you know there's different outcomes that can happen with that but the deer i've shot like that it is like they are down like it yeah and it's like you open them up and there's no heart left yeah when you hit them right well and on the other side of it i've shot deer like that and just gotten brisket and a brisket hit is like very deceiving because it it, it is a a lot of giant ridiculous blood trail and there's never a deer at the end of it i mean rarely and like and there's usually a lot of fat you know, you'll have some white hair maybe. And I remember, like, we got, like, 12 yards down the blood trail, and I see, like, a chunk of fat on the ground. I was like, mm, I don't know. And then we start yep. going, and we start going, and we get into, like, this real heavy blood. And a lot of times that, like, on a brisket hit, like, in my experience, you feel the blood, and the blood is, like, very greasy. It's like, like very, very, very slick, oily. And this blood wasn't really like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then we're finding chunks of meat. And all kinds of stuff. Um, Mike, I mean, what what was your impression of the blood trail? Well, so to back up a little bit, you know, I didn't have any of my stuff. So all I had was the light on my phone because I didn't have a flashlight to come out or anything. And I went and found a, a decent amount of blood. And so I was thinking, okay, that deer is dead down there at the bottom of that hill. Hopefully he didn't go off the bluff because that would have been a nightmare. <laughs> but hopefully that deer is down there we got past that and he started wrapping around the hillside i was like okay we're gonna find him over here uh dead on the edge of this point we got over there and he dropped down another draw and went up to another point and i was like okay we're gonna find him right here and we found like a couple of beds or it looked like possibly a bed or maybe where he had coughed or something i was thinking you know he's coughing up blood no he had just bedded down there um so we wrap around again, and then we're, like, finding less and less blood, and I'm like, oh, no, not again, not again. I was like, this has happened way too much in my life. Um, if I mean, if I had all of the, the big bucks on my wall that I've actually shot and hit or missed, my gosh, it would be ridiculous. Um, but I never concealed the deal, and I felt like, you know, this is another one of those scenarios, you know, like, what did I do? <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to find this deer. And we get over there, and there's like five of us, and we're all looking around for blood. And we find a good bit of blood, and then it kind of peters out a little bit. And then we just don't know where to go. We don't know whether to go up in the thicket, down the hill. And so that's when I was like, guys, I was like, let's just back out, like, let me call in a dog tomorrow and hopefully we find this deer. Yeah. So, so that's, I'll say the blood trail, like I said, was super heavy. It was, I mean, immense. Like I've yeah. only seen a blood trail like that. Like, just a handful of times. Yeah. Just me, re- I mean, me too. Ridiculous. Yeah. It was a really nice. Like, I put it on, trail. I put it on Instagram story and people were like, Oh my God, that deer is a hundred percent dead. Yeah. And we were walking like me, you and Clint, Mike, me, Michael and Clint were, the three up front Mm -hmm. and we were like briskly walking up this trail like i was like trying to keep up with him i mean we're just walking right down it and uh stops he well he goes he wraps around this hillside he goes to this little draw and he starts going up another hillside and at that point i'm like uh 
And then we get up there, and sure enough, there's there's a scrape, and there's blood all in the scrape. Like, he stopped at the scrape and, like, stood there for a second. And then there's a bed next to it where it's all matted down, and I get down and I look at the bed, and there's, like, clotted blood in the bed. I was like, oh, gosh. Because, again, going back to the brisket hit deer, Jacob, I've told you this, but I've, like, brisket shot a doe before, and she barreled down this hill and plowed into the ground at the bottom of the hill and like rolled in the dirt almost like she was trying to get dirt in the clot in, in the wound and like i don't know help clot it up or something but they'll bed down like that on a brisket hit in my experience they'll they'll bed down and then after that there's like no blood that's exactly what happened we found that bed and then after that there was like you know sp- spots here and there and then everybody lost blood and then i i'll Every time we lost blood, I would do circles, and then I I came up on this little um, like kind of this like rocky area, leaving the thicket, and I see like these this trail coming out, and these big heavy hoof marks coming down this trail, um, like big heavy tracks coming out that looked like kind of skewed, like I don't know, like you could tell maybe the deer was like distressed, and I go up there, and there's just like the tiniest little spots of blood on these leaves over here, and that's where the trail ended. And uh, I remember, like, we were all sitting there trying to think of what to do. And that's, Mike, when you you decided to get the dog um, to come out in the morning. and that But that spot told us a little bit more about the hit, um, which I just, like, this is an interesting blood trail to me because of this. Because we found those tracks, and they were so, like, weird looking. And you said, you're like, I think when he was running, it looked like his leg was messed up. And sure enough, like, these tracks just looked like weird like he he was walking on one foot up front uh and they were like they were like really dug in and really like slanted like he was putting all his weight on that foot and there was a little bit of blood off to the side like he stepped and maybe some blood came out or something like that and it looked like he was going downhill into a bottom and so i'm like maybe he's down there dead in that bottom and that's where we left it uh, and then, Mike, you went back the next morning, which we weren't there for that morning. So can you walk through what that morning was like with the dog? Yeah, so it was a long night, first of all, a uh, long morning. And then uh, I met up with a guy named William Crawford, and he had a dog named Tank. And uh, so we went and picked up the trail and uh, followed it all the way over to the, that same spot. And then the dog was just everywhere over there. He was up, down, over, I mean, through the thicket back over to where we started like and then he calls the dog back over there i think we had just walked around in there so much that it had just kind of messed up the the deer's trail his actual scent trail and so he pulled the dog over towards the bottom and the dog just took off down the hill and he starts running down through there and then the dog comes back up a little bit ways up towards back where we were and i was like crap and at this time william's walking down there towards where the dog was and then he finds blood and he yells up got blood when he's yelled got blood the sense of relief that came over me like y'all have no clue like i was i just knew that we were going to lose that deer and when he said got blood went down there and it was good blood again and it was all the way down the bottom all the way back up through this little uh, thicket and then down to the pond. And that's where we found the deer laying next to the pond. Um, and I think like, like you'd mentioned, Andrew, I think it was a good, really good idea that we actually went in and 
possibly bump that deer um, out of that out of that bed that we found on that point because if not for that, I think that and and the fact that it was really cold that night, um, I don't know if we would have found that deer or not. Yeah, I'm pr- I'm very confident that we bumped that deer, especially when we got up to where those beds were. Uh, Clint was like very insistent that he smelled it. Like yeah, he's okay. like, I smell this. I smell this buck. He's like, I don't know if he's in here dead or if he was just here. You could smell the tarsals while we're crawling around. Yeah. We're dragging stupid game cart in the thicket. And we left it in the thicket and came back and got it later. <laughs> but uh, me and I was telling me and Clay were saying that back before. I'm like, dude, I can smell tarsal. I, I can smell them. Yeah. Like, when we're crawling through through the beds, I'm like, you can't. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Clint was, you know. For sure, thought that he possibly was somewhere up above us in the pines, uh, you know, bedded down dead yeah. somewhere. Looking back, what I think happened is I think that deer ran off, and I think he bedded up there on that hill, and I think he probably laid there, especially since there's like like decent, I mean, really decent sized blood clots in that bed. I think mm-hmm. that he he was laying there when we started tracking. Possibly, yeah, I do too. And yep. then we got we wrapped around, and I think he got up. Uh, and went out the backside of that thicket where where I found those messed up tracks, and I think yep. that's probably that. I mean, that's probably like what kind of sealed the deal a little bit. Um, is like we yep. bumped him, and when he was going down that hill, you could tell those tracks were like so distressed. It probably just reopened that whole wound because he couldn't go down that hill very well on one foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, so tell so us when about I get, the shot. So oh, when we'll we get ahead. down there, so when we get down there to the deer. Instead of hitting the deer where I thought, so this deer, y'all keep in mind, okay? Like, y'all know how bad of a shot I am, how bad I flinched and stuff. I thought the shot was good. That shot, the deer was 20 yards away. I was aiming for, I'm, I'm looking at the deer, I'm aiming for the right shoulder. It barely clips the left shoulder, his, which would have been his right shoulder, but the one facing me was the left. So there's like a foot. I pulled that gun a foot to the left at 20 yards. Like that gives you an idea of like how bad I suck with a rifle. So that by it was a miracle that we even found that deer. Um, because that deer, it, it, it barely even clipped like that that right shoulder and leg but when it did like it demolished his leg and that's all of the blood all of the blood that 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 deer bled that whole way was all from that one leg yeah and that's actually i mean for a lot of people would think of it as just a flesh wound but um you know i've I've heard um aaron schneider from uh kafari talk about like hitting an elk in like a flesh wound like that and, and actually pushing the elk until it actually died um, which I mean, I, like like y'all said, I think bumping that deer off his bed that night made him where he had to reopen that wound going down, you know, really mm-hmm. a really steep hill, and you know, made him where he just lost enough blood from that, you know, quote unquote flesh wound that he actually you know bled out and died. Because uh, I mean, that's you know, kind of ki- to kill an animal, you're literally just looking for blood loss. I mean, that you're you're yeah. it's all about blood loss. Um, well, for for most wounds, um, and uh, 
you know, it just he just lost enough blood from a, a quote unquote flesh wound where you hit him kind of like high in the leg, low in the shoulder, kind of coming across his body, and just I mean, from what it looked like, just kind of blew it apart. Those uh, you're shooting those Hornady SSTs, uh, which are just a nasty bullet. I've shot those a ton in my seven mag uh, and a couple other rifles as well, and had a lot of really good success with them. But I mean, it looked like it just freaking I mean, fragmented and just broke his leg in like three different places, which you know is not the shot that you wanted to take and not the shot that we really even expected to find but that was the shot that happened and just from kind of you know coming back in a few hours later and that bumping that deer up from his bed he him having to cover you know quite a bit more distance down the hill uh, to where he finally laid up um you know that's part of what i think absolutely killed him was just that overall that blood loss kind of going down the hill and you told me when you found the deer he was still kind of warm like he wasn't like he was cold been laying there for four or five hours yeah, he was he it was it was just ever so slightly just warm to the touch compared to the cool air that you know was was there like if if he had died you know that night like early that night I figure he would have been really really you know solid um would have been cold but he still had a little bit of warm touch to him and he was still pretty flexible so it was sometime in that morning unfortunately that that the deer end up expiring so yeah well you also well again you recovered the deer dude and no you were freaking super excited I, I saw all the photos come across and i was like oh my god dude i was like first <laughs> you know you know because I, I think i called you right after i saw the photos i gave you a call and the first thing you said was like it, did i do a good job or something you know for what i said um as in kind of representing the deer i'm like oh dude he's everything you explained and probably even better uh, just awesome time length on that deer just really cool deer but again kind of like doing the subtle things and the kind of the finesse calling and everything along with kind of having clay uh kind of you know walk back out was absolutely what seems like it killed that deer you know kind of curiosity but also just kind of putting that deer back at ease you know definitely seems like it sealed the deal on them right yep yeah so well, well so another thing um that kind of we wanted to talk about uh before we got this thing started which mike i know you've been on the phone for like two hours at work so um but was the, the fact of like running trail cameras all summer and into the fall and everything and one thing that's been i mean for me one thing that's been kind of pretty remarkable about it is uh the distance that a lot of these bucks seem to have moved from where we got them on camera in the summer, whether it be like the, the wizard that we're hunting and, and his little buddy that, uh, maybe, got maybe killed, got slocked, so yeah. got killed. Um, or Michael, like the buck you just killed, you got a picture of him in there. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got a picture of the buck I killed and all these deer were killed. I mean, right there in the same spot where we got them on camera. I mean, right there yeah. in the same area. Yeah, almost no change whatsoever, um, which was one of my biggest questions about, you know, ag land versus like a big woods type setting. When I say big woods, I'm just talking about the lack of a destination food source um, yeah. in, in this context. Um, I think that there was, there was basically no change whatsoever. These deer didn't have any reason to relocate, you know, if you think about it. There's no reason, like, they've got the cover, they've got the same water, uh, the same food. Like, there's no reason for these deer to relocate. Why would you move, you know, a mile away when you have everything that you need in the same place that you've spent all year long so far? Yeah. Um, 
the only the only reason for them to move is you know your more subordinate bucks you know may branch out a little bit and move a little bit further away you know especially once it gets closer to the rut that but also i think one thing that we've realized as well is how you can map out from like what we've done this summer and kind of all throughout this fall and kind of personal experiences is like when you find like a certain habitat type in one area that a big buck's holding to you can find that across the landscape and just because you know that buck's sitting close to that cover you can find most likely another mature buck or two using very similar habitat types and kind of diversity in an area that's half a mile away to a mile away uh, so you can kind of find multiple areas that are holding very you know high quality bucks for the area um, that seems like it's holding them for quite a long time, you know, throughout the season. Yep. Yeah, dude. Uh, so that'll be something very useful for uh, future years, I feel like, because um, that was kind of our – I mean, for me at least, that was one of the big questions that I had going in after we got all these things on camera. We were always like, oh, where are they going to go, like, when the shift happens? And there's no shift, like, at all. Um, yeah, they just got out of the hardwoods, um, you know, in daylight. And, uh, well, besides, you know, finessing them out, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, they're just not, uh, there's no need for them to really go out there as much. And so I think, uh, but they still got the, you know, the cover that they need. So, um, I think this going to be really, really useful, uh, especially for next year. I think next year, especially seeing the bucks that, that we have on camera from this year, I don't. I don't see me, uh, and I say this every year, but um, I think we really need to focus on one area, one WMA, and really nail it down. I think we could all have stellar seasons instead of branching out. I mean, if you think about it, this is only my – when I killed that buck, it was only my fifth hunt down there. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and you killed yours in how many hunts, Andrew? Uh, Pretty pretty much about the same. Yeah. Five or six. So, um you know, I've we've hunted. I've hunted in Tennessee. I've hunted in Black Warrior, uh, Cahaba, Wyoming. You know, we were pretty spread out for the first, the first little bit. Um, if we stuck and and put all that time and effort into that one WMA, uh, God, I mean, just think about how much more we would know about it already. Because I mean, I stopped running trail cameras down there pretty much um, back in July. Like these were the this was the first time I went to check any of my trail cameras, um, and I'd already pulled some of them out for Black Warrior. So um, I really wished uh, I had all that information, you know, on these WMAs. If I'd spent that much time, uh, I think we could have all, you know, been successful so far and had multiple bucks down probably. Yep, that's my my thoughts exactly. Me and Jacob were talking about that on the phone yesterday. Um, we're like we're wanting to like take vacation and having like a serious chunk of time to hunt it next year, because uh, yep. you know these two day weekends and everything are great and all, but man, it's and this is usually the case. Like when you have multiple days back to back where you can like really get in there and hunt it, you usually end up having an opportunity. Yeah, well, a, yep. lot, a lot of guys we've had on podcasts um, that are especially of like kind of like that retired age or not even retired, but they're. You know, just use their vacation time around. Or they have a situation, whatever yeah. work situation. Swing shifts, something like that. Man, listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of jealous of some of y'all firefighters and police officers out there and, mm-hmm. and old night nurses, old, like, uh, old Mike here. 
uh, just you know those swing shifts are freaking legit where you know in one week you might only work two days or two nights and you got you know four to five days to hunt oh my gosh that sounds amazing but yeah man um, you can sleep when you're dead yeah exactly <laughs> like, like mike here and just pound another monster energy drink or a bang you're good to go um <laughs> yeah but yeah i think a lot of guys that we've had on the podcast that are extremely successful they have a lot of times in the woods and i know like adrian farley talked about this on like the last episode we had him on like you can't you can't you can't um you can't beat time in the woods like no tactic no anything's going to beat just woodsmanship and being in the woods spending time in the woods uh and putting yourself in the opportunities to have you know that buck to come within range and you kind of play those cards correctly um and some of the best guys we've had on that are some of the biggest buck killers and just more most consistent guys are putting time in the woods to try to be successful and you know the more times you do that and the more times you learn from your mistakes and kind of learn what's not working, you know, the more opportunities you're going to have, you know, in the future to kind of put that deer on the wall and put him in the back of the truck. Like old Michael Pike, the buck in the truck. Buck in the truck, old yep. son. Yeah, man. And, uh, and don't spread yourself too thin. You know, I've, I've been – I've done that pretty much probably the past, I don't know, two or three years, especially since we've been traveling some of these different WMAs. You know, you you find yourself learning more about each WMA, but as far as being extremely successful, you're really limiting, you know, yourself going to all of these different areas. Whereas if you just focused on one little small piece of property or, or area within one WMA, I think you could be more successful overall. Yep. Oh, yeah, man. And I'll say it does, like, really – I mean, in my experience, I've hunted a lot of different places in Alabama, and most of them can produce some, like, very high-quality bucks. Um, like, the place we're hunting now, man, when I was growing up, I thought it was the biggest piece of trash, <laughs> useless, just... <laughs> I, dude, I thought it was the worst place ever. That's why I started driving all over the state to hunt other areas. But it's like, when you get in there and you piece it apart, and I'm talking every parcel I've ever hunted in Alabama that I thought was garbage has proved me wrong over the years. Whether, yeah. where, like, where Jeff Homan killed his buck. Mm-hmm. The, cl- I mean, classic example. Like, I did the same thing. I went down there, I scouted, I was like, this place sucks, man. And then Jeff just kills this giant buck. Where was that place when you went, uh, this is random, but what was the place you went and hunted uh, for deer when Tiffany was down at Troy? Oh, there's a forever wild property down there. And you're, if you live but, in but Troy. You, but you were like straight up like, this is terrible. No, looking back, knowing what I know now, I'm like, oh, man, that looks really good, actually. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it, it goes to show, and it goes back to, like, hunting the places where you can most easily hunt. It's like if you have to drive an hour and a half to go hunt an area, it's going to be really hard mm-hmm. to, um, like, really apply yourself to that place, especially yeah. when you're doing, like, half-day hunts on the weekend. I had, a, I had a listener reach out to us, say the same thing. He was asking about a couple of different management areas in Alabama. Like, he wanted to, like, focus on one that was, like, way, like, way far away from him. Like, from where he lived, it was, like, pushing an hour and a half. Um, and I'm like, dude, there's another management area literally 45 minutes from your door that is known for big deer, and it's, like, more public land than, like, you could even imagine hunting. Yeah. Um, but instead, he wanted to drive, you know, an extra 45 minutes to go yeah. hunt someplace. So, so I'm like, where are you going to be able to spend more time? Yeah. And I'm like, and he's like, well, yeah, for sure. Because if we're closest. being honest, there is there is big deer on both. There is. 
like, you know, there might be certain WMAs that hold, like, more 150-inch deer. But, I mean, for most guys in the South, especially, like, 130-inch deer. Dude, 120-inch deer plus. Like a, like a legit, listen, listen, not Facebook 120, like a legitimate like 120 Like a legit 120-inch buck. It's like a great buck Dude, that's to an most awesome people in the South. And every single public parcel in Alabama and the other states probably has several of those running around. Every single one, I guarantee it. Oh, yeah. I'd yeah. bet my left leg. Yeah, especially with everything's changing. Um, but, hey, Mike, um, th- one thing to kind of get us to a point, kind of start wrapping up, just kind of going back to, like, the finesse tactics and everything. Is there any other, like, finesse tactics that you can think about that maybe you didn't actually use on this deer but, like, would be something worth mentioning, um, you know, for, you know, listeners? Uh I can't think of anything. Can y'all think of something that I that I do that maybe you slip my mind or because um, I know we talk a lot. I tell y'all most of the things I do. Um, uh, I don't know, man. Now, like my brain is so. We started talking about the trail camera thing, and you remember where you got that first bachelor group on camera, the five bucks, that one giant swooping one, and then that big wide ten. Yep, dude. Them suckers. I know. Are, that, those jokers are in there, <laughs> man. That's all I can think I about know. right now. Dude, I know. Dude, as soon as you said that, I'm like, they're right there. They're dude, still there. I know. The, hey, the fun, <laughs> and the funny thing is, those deer are so – like, dude, Mike, like Mike, you shot a big deer. But th- those deer, like, when you compare, like, what oh they looked gosh. like in the summer compared to, like, the deer you got, like, when he was at this kind of same time frame grow, growth-wise, those other four deer are freaking huge. Huge. Yeah, like Mike, dude, you killed your buck. If I'd killed that buck, that'd have been my best buck ever. Like, definitely not, right. not even close. But that, that, that'll probably be a top ten, probably a top ten buck taken off there this year. Yeah, and that's and that's the crazy thing is, and like everybody out there, do not take this as a knock on Mike's deer. But the other bachelor group you got pictures of, Michael, if yep. that put mine to shame. Dude, if your buck was in there, he'd have been like the third or fourth biggest one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I know. Oh, oh man, they're in there. Let's just let's all let's do. Let's storm it. Let's go oh, in oh, there. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that brought that brought up a good question, or that brought up a good statement. Uh oh. So, Mike, you talked about earlier, like just five minutes ago, about how like focusing on like a specific area in a management area, like is going to like play more of a factor, like being successful. I've been talking to Wes Moe a ton over the last two three weeks. Who, of course, people have heard we've had him on the podcast quite a few times. He's the one that talks about like these wolf pack tactics hunting with a group of guys and you know being really successful with it. Um, and they did that on another piece of management area uh, this past weekend, actually, when Andrew shot his deer. And uh, I was talking to him about it. And um, one thing he told me, he went down there to hunt this other piece of public, and their rut doesn't come into like that mid December time frame, like mid. Yeah, most mid to late December is like when it's really rocking. And he went in to hunt this same kind of, you know, 660 acres that they've been hunting for, you know, since the late 80s uh, that he's been focused on. And he, his goal, he like, you know, I'd like to kill a deer, but my goal, like his goal going out there was just, I wanted to see where those doe groups are at, see how many does are in the area and where those big mature does are at. So then I know where to pinpoint them to come back in two weeks and go kill a big buck off of them. Oh, yeah. And he's right. But he only hunted, listen, he hunted for one day. Saw everything he needed to saw. He's like, I wasn't worried about hunting again. He's like, I won't be back in there until two to three weeks from now. All he needed to yeah. know was just where the does are at and what their patterns were and how many were in there. And he's like, I already know stand locations for when we go back in there because he wants again us to go down. And yeah, do a do a pack hunt. Well, that dude, that's like today. Like I was talking about the camera I checked today. I had five does, so I ran a camera today that had five does all over it. There's three big does, one big old doe, and two fawns. Um. And they they were on the camera. They've been on it for a long time. 
And when I walked in today, I bumped them. Like, I saw all five of them sitting right there, not far from the camera. They're like, you're not a turkey. Yeah. Yeah, I I rounded the house still hunting. If I just – there's this big rock, and I was like, I'm going to walk up to – I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, there's like a triangle-shaped rock. Did you go below it or above it? Above it. I I came around the very top of the hill. No, no. See, I screwed up. I came around the very crest of the hill, and I saw that rock below me, and I'm like, I need to crouch and walk up behind that thing and then just ease and peek over it because that military crest is so hard, Mm -hmm. and I just got in a hurry, and I just walked around it. I should have, like, got behind, like, I should have swung up to the rock, and I tried to swing below it, and I'll be dang, man. They were just up there above you? No, they were below me. They were down the bottom? Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, dude, they were down. They were right down so there. I'll, in the I'll, I was sitting. There's a. There's two wadics right there in front of you. I was sitting in one of those wadics when I hunted that spot. Yeah, they were like halfway down the hill. Huh? But yeah, so that's a good point. They're all in there. They've been in there consistently. Yep. They're still in there, and so it's just a matter of time, you know, before one of them. I, I want to go back. I pulled the camera out because it's a Tasco, and I've had everyone swears by the Tascos. <laughs> I hate them. I hate. Yeah, them. They I'm not suck. a big fan either. They suck for they the take, price. Yeah. The price are okay, but it's not something like you need to go in expecting like a for it to even work. <laughs> yeah, and I can't tell you how many batteries I've changed out and not got the single picture. And then uh, two, if you leave it on aim for one, it's gonna run your battery <laughs> slap down. Uh, and then three, like the video and actual picture quality, especially if you do the back to back modes, like the multiple pictures taken yeah like you get light dark light dark um it's just you know uh, if you got a really big buck i would not put that as your as your camera to be over it well and that that brings up a question like you know is it worth especially on public land is it worth buying you know those are 25 like legit 25 26 27 dollar cameras maybe 28 dollars depending on walmart or is it worth you know, having, you know, multiple like browning, like strike force cameras, like you're talking a hundred, 120 bucks, but something that's going to last for a long time, as long as it doesn't get stolen, which again, we haven't really had any issues with that. I've never had a camera stolen in seven years. Knock on wood. I don't know if y'all can hear that. Knock, Knock on, wood. on that wood. Yeah. But, um, Man, you can get my dog worked up. Oh, oh God, that would be <laughs> terrible. He would not shut up probably. But it's, I'll say, I'll say, mm-hmm. I've had a browning camera for five years now. you got now. a janky demo one though. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I got a Browning camera. I got the the uh, the display model mm-hmm. from when I worked at Field and Stream. I paid twenty dollars for it yeah. five year five or six years ago, and that thing's working great still. The battery trays like got some issues. I got to like tinker with it, but uh, it's not a huge deal. But it still takes great pictures. But the Tascos, my here's my thought is like first of all, I've no, I haven't had a camera stolen yet because one. I think that we hunt places that most other people, like, I very, very, very rarely get somebody else on my camera, uh, if ever. But like, when you do, they're pretty cool people. Yeah, definitely. But uh, but another thing is, like, I hang them up high. And for me, like, when it comes to time versus money, I would rather have, I would rather pay more money and maybe have less cameras, but I know that my the time invested is going to be worth it. Because I've had, I'm running a 50% ratio right now on Tascos that I leave out for more than like two weeks that take a single picture. Half of yep. them work, half of them don't. You know what's fu- so then it's like, I just sunk, I, I walk into this spot, I crawl through this briar thicket, I get all cut up, I put my scent in there, I waste a day I could have been hunting, put this camera out, and then it sits there for two months, and then I go in and it was all for nothing. I, I yep. just lost that information that I can't get. Until next year. It's like, I want to know what they're doing in October in this spot. 
and it, if it doesn't take pictures, then I have to wait till next October to get that information, which means I have to wait till the next October to hunt based off that information. So you're delaying yep. my whole process by two years, literally. Yep. So I didn't listen. I didn't have any issues. That's my rant. And plus, they take garbage pictures. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, again, you get what you pay for. If you're paying thirty bucks for a camera, it is not taking the quality this, this of a hundred twenty dollars. This is true. Now, listen, like those, like those Browning cameras are like ridiculous. I mean, a lot of people love those cameras. Yeah, they're great. Um, and it's like, you know, what do you want? And also, but see, this is my thing too. I, I feel like you're using cheap cameras. If if a, if someone does walk by, I feel like someone's gonna be less likely to mess around with a cheap camera. Than if you had, uh, you know, a Browning. I think you see, see a Browning there. Guys, like that's a hundred dollar bill. So, I don't know. <laughs> I've had I've had one person ever mess with one of my cameras, and it was a newer Moultrie camera. It was a pretty nice Moultrie camera, and I couldn't hang it up in a tree because I forgot a stick. And I figured that people would be in the area, and I I got a piece of paper, like a little piece of paper, and I wrote, um, "This is GPS tracked. Don't steal it." And I got a picture of a dude walking up. He opened the box. The note fell out. He picked it up and read it and turned around and walked away. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I guess that worked. You know, I've got, I've got a little sticker thing I want to put on mine, but I think I've told you about but I'm not going to tell on the podcast. Yeah, but, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the. Anyways, don't it don't matter. But, yeah, Mike, um, well, just kind of over the whole topic of the podcast, Mike, uh, you know, just kind of, again, kind of wrap this up because I know we've taken a lot of your time and you're actually on the you're on the clock, my man. You're getting paid to do a podcast. I like this Unlike setup. me and Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, he, he's monetized this bad boy. <laughs> I, I, did, I did take my lunch break, and then I told my uh, – my buddy uh to watch my patience for me so i'm gonna i'm gonna owe him okay cool. <laughs> it's, it's gonna come back and bite me <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna yeah. have to st- i'm gonna have to start him a bunch of ivs and do blood draws i'm sure there which see he, he he owes me a pretty good bit so far so okay well, cool cool um well what would be some like a piece of tip or advice you'd give guys they trying to go out and implement kind of these more uh, finesse kind of calling tactic, especially on these calm days where, uh, you know, maybe it's just really hard to kind of get into a spot, but they want to kind of get close and, you know, draw one of these bucks out of this thick cover. Well, I'll say this, like, don't be afraid of an out of the box tactic. You know, if, if, if you notice something that deer are reacting to, to a certain thing, just because you haven't heard it, you know, be mainstream or you think it's goofy, like, don't be afraid to try it. You know, a lot of people may listen to this and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, this is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard. You know, don't don't knock it until you try it. That's all I'm saying. Agreed. Awesome, awesome dude. Cool. Well, cool. Well, Mike, again, congratulations on a, on a nice Alabama slammer. Now you got a, you got one tag left in your pocket because you got your other deer. Uh, yep. So yep. now it's time to. Now it's time to whether you want to tag out, be a little piggy, whatever, man. But you got we got a lot of season left ahead of us. Oh yeah, yeah. I could have uh, I could have already been tagged out. I saw five bucks up there in uh, Black Warrior for the rut, and uh, let them all walk because they didn't meet the meet the status quo. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll be able to fill that last one on the wizard or, or something big like him. I, what, what? I think I've I, I just hung a camera up uh, a couple of days ago, so. I'm pretty uh pretty excited to go in. I found like I don't know six to eight scrapes on a scrape line, and uh, I'm pretty sure there's gonna be something good on it. So, uh, by the way, you had a really big run in uh, with a it seemed like a monster buck while trying to drive out to a spot. What like three days ago? Yeah, 
Yep, two days ago. Two days ago. Man, uh, listen, they're on their feet cruising, and that's what you kind of saw them doing, kind of cruising between two likely bet, uh, doe bedding areas. Yep. So about two thirty in the afternoon. Man, you should have been. That's the. I told my my brother was calling me. He's trying. He's asking, man, where do I need to go? I'm like, man, you need to go out there and scout and go find some stuff. And uh, he's calling me at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, dude, you ought to be out there by now. He's like, you need to be. I'm like, you need to be out there by one, easing in the woods trying to find that sign. But I'm like, Mike, you over there at two thirty, man. You, you late to the game, boy. Yeah, I I'd already actually went and uh, hung a hung a camera. Uh, did a little uh, grunt and uh, rattle sequence uh, just to see if I could get anything to come out. And then I uh, went on to the second spot just because I didn't feel as confident there at that time of the day. So I'd already actually threw a hunt. So um, that was actually the second location. And I was actually going to where me and Andrew had scouted right below that doe bedding area because I figured I might could catch one slipping through there. And to be honest, if I'd been about five minutes earlier – or maybe five minutes later, I could have probably had a shot at that deer because he would have been coming right through that area. Dude, I think you would have had him if you would have had a Southern Outdoorsman blaze orange hat on. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying. Oh, man. Just saying. And it, just, uh, just, just to plug it real quick, if anybody's out there that is looking for some uh, new merchandise from Southern looking Outdoorsman. looking to kill a big buck. Yeah, man. We got, we got some new merchandise on the website. <laughs> uh, blaze orange hats, new leather patch hats, dude. Got other hats on sale. Dude, it's a good time to be buying. And I've been shipping out a lot of hats this week, so appreciate everybody buying the new merchandise. But, yeah, dude, I love these blaze orange hats, Mike. I'm telling you, man. That's, that's that's the big buck killing secret. All right, all right. We'll we'll, we'll put me one to the side, and I'll, I'll put it to use. Oh, <laughs> Does man. it make you shoot shoot your rifle any better? Oh man, yeah, oh, it, yeah. It, 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 it makes you so much calmer. Oh, dude. You're just like in the I'm zone. Sold. I'm sold in. Dude, dude, 285 <laughs> yards, no big deal. Put, put me put me two of them. <laughs> Send me two, two to the side, and I'll, I'll wear them both at the same time. Maybe extra good. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> one face in front, one face into the rear. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. You go. All right, cool. Well, hey, uh, Mike, appreciate you coming on. Uh, back on for another episode. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff coming out this week. Dude, we got – oh, by the way, I've got some legit listener success stories that we got to record this week. I, I don't know which one we're going to pick. Uh-oh. But we this Thursday's episode is going to be – it's gonna be ridiculous no matter no matter who we pick for it but uh i'm excited extremely excited so if you're listening to the show right now i guess i probably won't do an outro with everything going on but uh i gotta wake up to go duck hunting in the morning i know dude i'm just gonna go to work in the morning i'm sleeping over at the maxwell's house tonight crashing we only hunt till like 7 45 but that's all right for them woodies yeah exactly but uh anyways just make sure y'all tune back in for thursday's episode of listener success story and uh y'all just have a great rest of your week Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.